podcast, you know. Yeah, exactly. You're at, you're at home and you're chilling and then you can just like talk to friends, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is such an interesting setup considering we haven't actually officially met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're going to get to have this like big chat and have it recorded. And yeah, man. Twenty of us. Like it's peak 2020. Yeah, 100%. I think there's definitely like... um a need for people and actually a want like people really do want to hear like all kinds of different voices and given given that i think it's a great it's a great opportunity for everyone to just put out great conversations and see you know how different people live and how different people think i think that's awesome so is that kind of the idea behind your uh platform what you're what you're doing here yeah mostly mostly that i think uh I mean, since we're going to speak about it, uh, if like through this conversation, like one thing which really motivated why I'm doing this is because I think as a culture, we've lost what it means to have a civilized conversation from opposing mm-hmm. perspectives. Like You might have a different perspective than I do, but that does not mean that we cannot talk about it. And it does not mean that I can't learn from you. And I think that's super huge. Oh, well said. I mean, we, we live in this age of like cancel culture and like, you know, calling out. Yeah. And you know, I, think, I think there's value in um, shutting down very problematic conversations that incite violence, for example. But if it gets to the point where we can't talk, yeah. um, learn from each other, then then everyone's just off in their own little echo chambers, not progressing anything in any particular direction. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. You're saying it's um it's a whole bunch of different things and i mean one thing which may be a little bit um, relevant to your industry is just the whole um well there was rainbow marketing you know that you know the whole phase of ra- rainbow marketing in india specifically or just like generally no, like um, trying to cash in on i think in dollars? i think in the states and now it's there in india as well i think there's a little bit of rainbow marketing but because it's not in the mainstream yet I haven't seen it much in India. But just that whole thing now with the whole Black Lives Matter movement, where people like, uh, like for example, Nike mm-hmm. is like posting about the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, these organizations don't seem to be doing much to actually help yeah. people of color. And is that is that something that you've experienced in uh, the cosmetics and beauty industry as well? Most definitely, yeah. It's a huge, huge part of it. So we can get into that. For, for sure. sure. Yeah. So um, so let me just ask, are you already recording? Yeah, yeah. Or is this like, we're just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I should have let you know, but I, yeah, I, I just started. Uh, sorry about that. That's okay. You have like a formal intro that you do. Do you edit this or like how does so, this yeah, kind of... So yeah, so just to let you know, I don't usually edit it unless you ask. And I let the whole conversation go on free form. And I don't provide an intro just because I would rather someone listen to the conversation. Okay. Um, I could put no yeah, I could put an intro like if you have a text that you want me to put, I could do that right at the bottom. Yeah, yeah like I'm pretty easy. Yeah. I guess people will, will get to know me, get to know you as they view or listen to this. So yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's funny like we know each other through our common friend, Davey, but like, I haven't actually officially met you yet. I mean, this is how I'm meeting you. Um, Was there like, do you kind of try to do, because it's sort of like an interview setup, is it more that you have questions for me or is it weird if I ask you about yourself? Yeah, but just talking, man. If you want to ask, go for it. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I do. Like, how do you, how did you meet Davey? Like, I assume you knew each other from Boston. Yeah, I think uh, I met Davey in the weirdest way. I met her at a bar. I, yeah, I went at a bar, and uh, when I'm at a bar, I talk shit. I that's my yeah exactly like that's my general approach. I was just talking shit, and she introduced herself as Devi Gianetti. But yeah. I could have sworn that she's Guj- Gujarati. Like I could have sworn. I was like, I was like, holy shit! How's your sir? Like how's your last name Italian? And how do you look yeah. like you're from Gujarat? And then right. she's like, holy shit! Nobody's ever said that I'm. I look Gujarati. You picked it. Yeah, and then we we started talking. We started talking like it's. She's actually a pretty 
fun person to hang out with and she's got this uh, amazing quality of bringing people together oh my god absolutely it's a it's a skill really and i and how she does it so uh beautifully like without it being like a there's no agenda yeah. there she's just one of those people like she's a people person and she knows how to bring people together and i mean i am so lucky i met davy because honestly before davy i didn't really have friends in in bombay in, in the entertainment circles you yeah. know um and through her, I've met many, many people. Um, I've met you now. Yeah. And it's really helpful because I, I was a stranger in Bombay. I didn't know people there. And now I have a whole community and I have Davy to thank for it, quite honestly. So did you move to Bombay to for, uh, for acting? Or? I moved to Bombay, actually, like my background was in makeup artistry. So I was working as a makeup artist. Um, like I started my whole makeup artistry journey here in Australia, even though I'm from Canada. Um, and then I left Australia, moved back to Canada. I was working with a number of brands in Canada and I started a beauty blog, Mm. um, which I think you maybe checked out the website because there's this element of travel in, in what I do. I, it's like beauty nomad because like I'm nomad. I've kind of grown up all over the world. I spend a lot of time in different countries. Um, I was working on some documentaries in different countries. Like I spent time living in Cuba and then in Serbia, like I was working on a number of like these small documentary projects. I was like, okay, let me just kind of bring this together with my makeup background. Um, and then it sort of seemed like a logical conclusion to go back to like the motherland. Like I'm like, let me go to India and see what's going on in the makeup industry and the beauty blogging space. And so that's actually brought me to Bombay. Um, I got there in 2018 and the first thing I did was I started reaching out to agencies saying, Hey, like I'm a makeup artist and beauty blogger. Like I'm looking for influencer work. Like, you know, that's the space I'm operating in. Um, but then it very, this is like the most Bombay story ever. Like it very quickly turned into, Oh, like, okay. But like you, like, have you done makeup on yourself? Like, have you done modeling work? And I had in the past. Right. So they started me more for, more as a model and as a talent more than just a makeup artist. Oh, that's awesome. I think, yeah, it was great. Like it, it kind of, I was a bit stunned by it, but like I, I did end up signing up as like an influencer for a major uh, makeup brand in India called My Glam. So I do a number of like videos for them, tutorials, like I'm a, a makeup expert right. for them. But outside of that, I think my agency Got me into modeling gigs pretty much right away. Like I, I did um, a few TV commercials, like catalogs, like that kind of thing. And then three months later, I signed my movie. Oh, it was like warp speed. Yeah, it, it was. I, like I think now, like almost two years later, I'm still sort of digesting everything that happened so fast. That's so, yeah. That's crazy. So. Help me understand this um, and also some of our viewers who I'm betting really don't uh, have a very good idea of what uh, or how much nuance is involved in makeup artistry. Right. Well, makeup artistry is one of those things that I think like every like Indian immigrant kid, like, you know, you're a good student, right? Like you go to school, your parents. You know, you you got to be on yeah. something. Oh my God, get out of the house. It's like everything has to be the best it can be. And I think I brought that approach to makeup artistry as well. So when I first started training, I realized this is a whole discipline that you have to learn about. And it's kind of, it's like a funny thing like cooking because people will cook in their everyday lives yeah. and be like, I know everything about cooking. A lot of women do wear makeup. Yeah. So, um, God, we're having monsoon. Sorry, like I don't know if you can hear that, but there's this huge storm here. I can hear that, but that's all good, man. We're gonna we're gonna edit that out. Tell me if you need to put my mic up or something. No, no, it's all Um, fine. But where I was going with that is that you know people will cook in their everyday lives, people will put makeup on in their everyday lives, and think you know that's all there is to know about it. But once you start studying it as a discipline, you realize no, this is like there is so much involved. It's it is an art form, so it's like color theory. It's like understanding so many different skin tones because you're not just doing makeup on yourself yeah. you're doing makeup on other people um you know you learn you have to learn about different product ranges what's available what's not so for a year before i was feeling confident enough at, in my makeup artistry skills to i mean i was already working on clients but the more you do the more you learn kind of thing. right 
yeah guide me as i think through this but it seems to me that like um makeup is highly uh limited and when i'm saying limited i'm saying restricted by what we find biologically aesthetic so like for example if someone has like if someone's if someone if the makeup that you're putting on is too pink for example or if it doesn't match your skin tone it kind of stands out it's a little bit jarring and it's it's kind of yeah go for it i was going to say that's why i think studying it and learning about it that's where you start to learn that you can't for example like one of the basics of makeup is understanding somebody's skin tone yeah so you can have a warm skin tone you can have a cool undertone or you can have an olive undertone and based on those things you will find products that complement or balance or correct colors in someone's skin in a specific way so as like a really really rough example um somebody who has a uh, a really warm skin tone meaning like yellow kind of a golden undertone if you put a very cool tone pink lipstick on them yeah with a lot of undertone it looks very jarring it doesn't complement their skin it'll look ashy on them but if you find a warm tone pink something that has a little bit more yellow in it and put it on a person with a warm skin tone right it'll look a lot nicer so those are little things you start to pick up as you learn in this discipline um you're calling it a discipline yeah. as if it's like some course but but, but it is really, it I definitely is people don't understand that it's a lot more complicated than um than at first glance and you know i i've learned to admire and i there's so many makeup artists artists out there that i respect so much because they can just look at someone yeah. and know going to work and this isn't what's going to work. Mm. So were you, I, I don't have that. So were you su- were you surprised at all um when you came to India and you found that we have um uh, as a culture an obs- like obsession for fair skin like disproportionately so. I wasn't surprised at all cuz I was born in New Delhi right. and you know like even though I grew up outside of India like I grew up in an Indian household mm. man like we consume Hollywood movies we speak Hindi in my house like you know you eat Indian food so this These are elements of Indian culture that follow you even as a member of the diaspora. Right. You grew up, I grew up understanding these sort of I don't know what to call it, problematic hierarchies when it comes to shadeism within our Indian community. Yeah. Fair probably is sold in Canada. It's sold here. Like you go to these basic grocery stores and people are looking for skin lightening products yeah. and then you know the inevitable question comes up as to why you know and what i actually found really jarring was uh the way that these things are taken up outside of india versus in mm. india i think outside of india um you know these things aren't perfect of course like people still consume these products yeah. but there are, there is a more nuanced conversation around why are we lightening up our skin like why aren't we embracing our melanin like brown yeah. is beautiful specifically in north america there's because there's a sizable black population that has a different discourse around yeah. this not to homogenize every black voice but it's a different conversation whereas in india i remember when i got there and you know you see skin lightening creams everywhere even for me like as a model when i've gone on sets and stuff they're like oh let's use a lighter foundation right. like you or let's like lighten up in post production and i'm just like what like that what are we doing here like this is yeah um didn't surprise me i knew that it was going to be a part of it but i did what i did find surprising was the amount of resistance to having that conversation around it yeah um, it, i feel yeah especially in your like especially in the like in your industry which is acting like from all my friends who are like actors i know that there are certain things in the industry like if you step out of that norm you usually get punished like in terms of if you stop getting work and you stop getting you know people people kind of uh, people call this person a troublemaker and they're like this if this individual is a troublemaker i don't want to work with them and things like that that's uh yeah that's pretty messed up i had a conversation with a friend about you know just agencies and how agencies don't pay their actors in time and that was a uh, that was a huge thing for him like he was waiting for a year on a payment that he deserve, deserved and these individuals do not pay them but uh did you know did did you know that fair and lovely now is they've kind of removed the fair and the lovely i don't know how i don't know what what how it's going to work what do you think about that yeah. i mean i 
think that's, you know, kind of going back to what we were just um, speaking yeah. about, like, as I said, when I first arrived in India, I wasn't surprised to see that the amount of, you know, um, worshipping of light skin that happens, we see it in our media, we see it in magazines, we see it all around us. Um, and yet there was even in 2018, like the brand that I started yeah. working with, there are conversations online where people were pushing back against this and saying, like, let's embrace darker skin tones let's celebrate that we are a brown people yeah. ultimately like the deal so i would see that conversation happening online but not seeing it necessarily translate to on set or on the streets but now here we are two years later and i think blm has absolutely sparked global conversations uh, not just around you know police brutality mm. which is what which is super important, of course, but it has extended to things like the beauty industry and the translation that it's had in India is that Unilever, who has been selling this garbage for years, has gone, okay, we're having a very strong feedback from our customer base that this is something they don't like, or a, a sizable part of that customer base is saying we don't like this. We're going to change the name, but they haven't changed the ingredients. Yeah, and you know, go from so fair and lovely or whitening to just say glow. It's the same shit, different packaging. Yeah. So I don't really like something revolutionary, but it's a start. Right. This didn't happen two years mm. ago. So I think there's been space created for this that wasn't previously there. Yeah, I think also like the issue is also like, fine, you're going to change the product packaging because of like a certain group of people that think it's wrong or thinks it, think it's incorrect. I, I'm unsure as to how that's going to change major like the majority opinion towards that, and that's something which I like when I heard like them saying I'm going to change the name. I was like, you know, like, is that really going to change? Really, like, I, like, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a very good point, and like the fact of the matter is, changing packaging or changing the name or just. Um, kind of doing this performative change of yeah. superficial thing. Like we hear you. Well, you hear a certain demographic, but then there's another demographic who still wants to consume these products and yeah. is still sort of of the mindset that lighter is better. So for me, these sort of superficial changes that are happening, um, even in the beauty industry here in Australia, for example, I feel like it's a start, but it's not actually addressing the heart of the issue, which is, why do we have these mindsets in the first place? What does it say about um, our self-value, our self-esteem? Um, why are these hierarchies even there? Like those are longer term, bigger issues that need to be like dug up, examined and, you know, rebuilt from. But, you know, things don't happen in a day, basically. So when you when talk about the, uh, like, the beauty industry in Australia and you're saying that there's a hierarchy, uh, what what hierarchy is there? Just like in Canada, just like in the US, like there's absolutely like as a brown woman, when I'm in India, obviously I am brown like everybody else. But right. when I'm a brown woman working in the industry here, I'm the token brown girl, right? So mm. um, you can absolutely feel the hierarchy of um, a privileging of uh white models, white actresses, um, white people getting jobs in these industries. Um, and getting taken up in these spaces in a much more sort of like they're the normative framework, right? So as a brown girl, you're othered. Yeah. Um, so you're often taken up quite tokenistically. You're kind of taken up as, okay, we need like some diversity in this scene. So let's grab this girl and throw her in the shot. And it's like, you know, you're always like the side chick or you're always like in the background. Yeah. Um, you're not considered for the main lead quite as much. It is changing. But, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion in the acting industry here as well as like um, the beauty industry that we can't to, to continue to just be like, OK, you can fill like the token role. Come on, man. Like it's 2020. Like we're human beings. We're just as much part of your society as um, like a white person. Yeah. So you can't kind of on the one hand say that you're a multicultural society, but yeah. then not value people of color in the same way and especially in australia like the conversation around indigenous people is like a yeah. huge thing like this is indigenous land you know so right oh yeah actually like actually that's a huge it, that's a huge and complicated problem because i'm thinking about the equal employment opportunity laws in the u.s 
right? And uh, so the the equal employment option, I have I have to study a lot of that because of my profession, which is IO psychology. So uh, is industrial and organizational psychology. So it's a lot of like compliance and like uh, basically assessment design and things like that, selection processes design. And they they have a they have a clause within the like they have an exception. So everybody is entitled to equal opportunity if it's a larger than if the organization is larger than fifteen people. Not without getting too technical. There's a small clause which allows um, certain kinds of occupations. If it's an occupational requirement to have a certain look, it allows them to discriminate based on look. For example, Hooters. Hooters, uh, like to ha- like you, Hooters, they say we need Hooters waitresses. We, and if you want to be a like if you want to be a Hooters waiter, then they're probably going to put you in the back somewhere, right? And right. that's and that's completely justified because it's a business necessity. And there's this huge conversation in uh, you know in the in Hollywood, which is like can a can a white man play a black man? Can a black man play a white man? Um, and if not, then like, how are you going to justify that not happening? Because if, if a black man wants to uh, kind of audition for a white role, uh, would you like, would EEO count? And a lot of people have started contesting that notion just because of equal employment opportunity, which is part of the constitution now. Um, yeah. It's, it's a really fascinating area because, I mean, the thing is, there's historical differences here. Like for a black man to audition for what might have been a historically white role. Yeah. Like I think it it that is a different thing than a white man putting on blackface and and stereotyping and playing a black character. I mean it comes especially in America, and I'm not an American, but there's a really dark history of like these Jim Crow laws and yeah. it's not it's not even the same way around it's sort of like the argument that people make that oh you know indian people wanting to lighten their skin it's just the same way that like white people want to have a tan and i've always taken issue with that i'm like they're not equivalent brown people who want to lighten their skin comes from colonized histories and lightness is equated to power it's equated to being better it's it's equated to being more intelligent like there's there's a lot of like emotional baggage attached to that Definitely. A lot of classist stuff. Sorry about that. No, no, but you're right. There's classism involved as well and racism involved. When white people want to darken their skin, they're very careful to say they're not blackening their skin. They don't want to be brown or black. It's an aesthetic preference. And it's it's not as emotionally bound up in in things of class and race. It's I I find it very problematic to call them an change i don't think they are yeah i guess um i think in their case it's like a signal that they went they were outdoors like they were outdoors in the summer and like it's a signal saying like you know i, I was outdoors i spent some time there and then that's why you got the tan you go to a caribbean island and get a tan or something like yeah right so um at the same time though i feel like a lot of um I, and this is like again a few voices from the left I've said that, like certain levels of cultural appropriation, are like I mean, are inappropriate. For example, they consider certain things cultural appropriation, uh, which sometimes I question. For example, uh, they were giving like I think Twitter was throwing shade at a white couple um, that started a Chinese restaurant, and this couple was I uh, uh, this couple was really passionate about, st- uh, like. Chinese food. They went to China. They learned how to make the food and things like that. But they like they were calling for this restaurant be shut down, just because they like they they're like you don't have the right to make this food, and that was a huge argument. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, where yeah. do you fall in the spectrum of like what is appropriation versus appreciation? Um, see, like for example. I was just at a friend's place and he made some curry, man. and and I was like, so I walked into the, I walked into his house. I was like, hey, I smell curry, and he was like, ah, and I I thought that was funny as hell. It was funny to me, and I like based on my relationship with him, I can make like he's he's Russian Ukrainian. I can make Russian Ukrainian jokes, 
like uh, and he can make like indian jokes to a certain extent obviously like you know he's obviously not going to be insulting about it and i think in that in doing that like in even like in making fun of each other to a certain extent without it being harmful uh, without anyone feeling unsafe uh, i think that's there's a little bit of merit in that because you have how else are you going to learn about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate in a culture if you don't use humor right and i'll say some shit i'll be like oh i like i'll say something and the other person's going to be like oh hold up hold up that's that's too much <laughs> you yeah. you you've taken that a little too far just back up a little bit and then it's all chill You're like yeah i'm going to back it up yeah but i don't agree with canceling someone like if 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 you say some shit like and you completely cancel that individual like you just i just want you wiped off the face of this earth that's a little i mean that's a little too much what do you think no i completely agree it's kind of what i we talked about at the beginning of this conversation i kind of feel that calling out culture and cancel culture might come from a place of anger that is warranted to a certain degree but i think to completely cancel out people who don't know any better instead of um you know it's no one's job to educate someone on where they're going wrong but if you can it's and look this takes infinite patience also so not everyone is going to be or should be up to this task but there is something to be said for having a conversation taking opportunities to check people's privileges and say hey you might want to educate yourself in this space because what you're doing is not so cool um if you cancel them out i think you get you do risk um what i was saying at the beginning of this conversation of people going off and finding their own tribe where everybody thinks the same way and other people over here are thinking their own you know their own way and you have these separate echo chambers where no one is learning and no one is growing and like culture as a whole isn't pushing forward think you then end up having very polarized groups like the US where the left and the right if you can just be so reductive about it just don't speak to each other at all i think um, it's i think it's pretty much reduced to that it's it's literally like um, it's reduced to that but yeah if you um just to add to that so you said like um you know you you can ask someone to check their privilege uh, according to you like where do you see that kind of playing out like when you see people acting from a place of privilege look i think everyone has privilege like we as brown people have privileges um there's no one in this world who like, we don't live in a vacuum and we don't live in a world outside of social constructs so knowing that knowing that we all navigate through these spaces in certain ways um as i was kind of saying just a moment ago it's no one's job to check someone or tell oh, them what oh. i yeah and i don't i feel very uncomfortable doing that most of the time i just find it very i'm a very conflict like averse person so yeah. i get very uncomfortable doing that but at the same time like you were bringing up the example of your friend like this is a friend of yours um who's russian ukrainian yeah and joke about and talk but if he says something that bothers you you can feel safe going to him hey man like that's not really cool it bothers me in my culture for this this and this reason please consider not doing that yeah. so that's you know, like how i operate like i go and i would speak up to someone who i feel like would hear it but if it's outside of that i don't really feel safe or comfortable or the yeah. need to go out of my way to like educate for example like a a really really ardent trump supporter like that's not my place nor do i care to engage in this yeah. battle with them um so i don't know maybe that's me sort of i don't i don't, don't want to say shirking a responsibility because i don't think it's my responsibility to educate someone no, like it's not their job to tell me what to think either mm. the world is very like it's a pluralistic community of people with different voices and different thoughts mm. um I think I'm kind of like you. It's like let's have conversations when yeah. it's safe to do so. And if yeah. not, like I don't know. I also have like my mental health to think about. I don't want to burn out <laughs> a stressful life thinking about oh. all these. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of mental health, I I got on Twitter like 3 weeks ago. So I um 
Yeah. So, I, I mean, I wasn't on Twitter because just generally, like, just the whole word count and everything else, like, it seemed too complicated and I don't really post. I just, I'm a lurker. Right? Even on Reddit, I'm just a lurker. So... Like you, man. I have a Twitter account. I barely, barely post. I'm just like, it's like watching from the sidelines. Yeah. Lurking. And the first guy, I got to admit, the first guy that I followed was Donald Trump. He was the first because he's he's <laughs> hilarious on Twitter, man. Like whatever, you can love him, hate him, whatever. The okay. shit that he posts on Twitter is hilarious. Like I think his purpose is to entertain. It's not really to lead. And it's definitely working, man. It's really great. So... If, that entertainment wasn't so harmful to certain groups you know oh, dude, totally man i think now it's getting more and more like corrosive and harmful like it's getting divisive to the extent that it's like i have i have guys like i have friends i know who are like who are like moderate like most people on the right are like moderate right they're not really ex- technically if you're on the far right you won't believe in government so you really won't give a shit about the whole system you'll be like screw this i'm going my own way and we're creating a militia like that's how you would be if you're far right yeah like yeah. let's not have any intervention from anybody in yes. my yeah. freedom so most of these guys are they have no they have no way to explain some of the stuff that he said like i think there was this video where uh i don't want to repeat it here but basically he said the you like there are certain re, um there are some really anti-china uh ways to address the coronavirus and the dude was calling that out in one of his rallies and like there was a whole arena of people just going mad and like, like um, just going, like going crazy about it. And uh, so anyway, I, was, I got on Twitter, right? And here's the funny thing. If I look at someone's, if I look at anyone's comments on Twitter, like I looked at one of, um, so somebody I know is a, uh, is a spokesperson of, of Congress. Right? So, and they keep sending me their tweets. So I was like, okay, let me see. And I looked at that comment section. If you look at anybody, like anybody big, anybody, left, right, whoever, and you see the comment section, there's just so much hate. It's almost like these algorithms actually support hateful commentary. And it's uh, it's a pain to see, man. Yeah, definitely. Well, and again, I, go, this ties in, sorry, but I just like want to commend you for kind of creating spaces for conversation because mm. I just think like you just said there, like people are so threatened by a viewpoint that opposes their own, that like they have this like strong reaction to, you know, be hateful and defensive back. And it's like, is this how you want to go through your life? Like, really? And and I, and I mean this on both ends of the argument, like, what does that achieve? And, and, and again, from a mental health perspective, how is this helping you live like a great balanced life? Like it's, I don't know. I don't know how we've gotten to this point in in human history where we can't even talk to one another. Like it's actually, I do know how we got to that point, but it's yeah. sad. It's really sad that we can't. Yeah, I think shit is getting pretty polarizing, man. For sure. Um, was it different in Canada? Was it or was it similar? I know Canada is very left leaning. I mean, I think if you compare it to the U.S., it's um, an easy assumption to make. But yeah. you know, Canada, like every other country, it's things are nuanced and um canada absolutely has problems with racism and homophobia and really? a lot of absolutely it's not like the land of like perfect politeness as much as that it's public image yeah canada like i will say i'm very happy that my family immigrated to canada and that's where i got to grow up and i, yeah. and I love canada but, you know canada like the united states like australia is built on um it's a it's a settler colony so it's got genocidal histories as to how it became that it is um that's never something that's been completely reconciled or addressed and then to build off the back of that you know um immigrants in canada for example we are still living on colonized land we have to recognize that like it's part of an ongoing history of oppression Mm. so i don't know like I feel like I was lucky growing up in Canada. Like I went to university in Toronto. Toronto is an incredibly yeah. diverse city. Yeah. The level of discourse around these kinds of things. Again, Toronto has its problems, but I was lucky enough to be in spaces or be in a university where you could have very nuanced conversation around these things. Yeah. Um, 
given what's been going on recently, like there's been a lot of pushback against the BLM protests in Toronto or, you know, people speaking up against these things. You get resistance in Canada. Absolutely. Maybe not to the same volume or extent as the mm. U.S. because it's a smaller population. Yeah. Um, Canada is about 35 million people and America is what, 300 million? Like it's significantly bigger. Um, but Canadian racism, for example, is a lot more polite. It's a lot more sort of insidious and like hidden and like, you know, it's. Hmm. I have I have another I have another friend in uh, I have another friend in Canada. I think she's on the East Coast and uh, she, sorry, on the West Coast. And she said okay. uh, and she tells me similar things. How like how so? How is it insidious and kind of polite? It's a lot more like. um I think when people think of racism, they think of overt forms of racism, people calling you a name or attacking you violently. Mm. If someone asks you, where are you from? Where are you really from? Or, oh, you're, you're pretty. You're pretty for a brown girl. Like those little things, those microaggressions are very much based on the same problematic culture of othering people who don't happen to look like you. You know, it comes from a space of... Um, <sighs> Ending one race as somehow better than the rest, and you get you get that in Canada a lot. Oh shit! Did you get that though? Yeah, absolutely. Dude, that's messed up. up, man. That sucks. Yeah, I got. Yeah, I think the because you come to the U.S. When when did you when did you move to the U.S. A couple of years back. And, and years how back. have you found that experience as as an Indian man coming coming to the U.S.? Um, I think you... I um I actually think like. I was pleasantly surprised by just the level of acceptance that both US and the Canada has been able to achieve in terms of living with diversity. Yeah. Uh, India does live with diversity, yes, 100%. We are very diverse, but at the same time, we haven't dealt with international diversity. We That's something we struggle with. So much so that we haven't been able to kind of... Uh, integrate the northeast with the mainland and a lot of it is because you know people from the northeast look and have different customs than people in the mainland but again i'm digressing just to answer your question i was pleasantly surprised it was um it was i i've maybe had like one or two experiences which are which are weird but i wouldn't count them as anything i wouldn't say like again i have a very high bar for what constitutes racism like at a personal level like i'm like my my bar for racism is if someone identifies my race and then restricts my access to opportunity to me that is an example of being racist right if someone is um someone is like confused or like gives me like supposing if I'm walking down the street, someone decides to walk on the other side, some shit like that. It's happened a couple of times because again, not a lot of people walking in North America. You know, roads are lonely, things like that. So I understand. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make a big deal out of it. Has happened a couple of times. I'm never gonna like. I'm gonna be like, yeah, fine. You know, you be safe. I'll be safe. What I would like, what I would be bothered by is like examples of overt discrimination. But I think these. Some of these, uh, some of these things, I've gotten as well. Like you speaking, you speak English really well for an Indian, you know. Um, dude, um, I think this was pretty funny. I, this is funny because again, my like I later got to know who the professor is, and he is an amazing guy. But one of my statistics professors, like I was sitting in the back of his class, and I was learning statistics, and he, and I'm doing psychology, right? This is a class for psychologists. He, he takes everyone's intro. He goes one by one, boom, 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 boom. It's like, oh, dude, uh, are you doing IT? And I was like, bro, <laughs> what the fuck wow. you talking? Could you be more cliched? Yeah, I was like, holy shit, man. But I mean, now looking back at who this guy is, I appreciate it. But at that moment, I was like, what the fuck? What, what was your reaction in the moment? Like, in the insane? moment, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like, how did you say that to him? Or like, what did you... I was like, no, I was like, I was stunned. I was like, hey, no, man. Like, I was like, no. 
but took me time to process right they like when you're with people are from different backgrounds you're as alien to them as they are to you, you know what i'm saying so i may have made certain assumptions about the way he lives and he some certain assumptions about the way i operate so but having that assumption revealed to you may not be a pleasant experience and it wasn't a pleasant experience for me but um definitely like having that revealed to me was was weird for sure you put that very nicely you know having these truths that are outside of your own experience revealed to you take some minute to process and and understand you know and it's um i think i don't know i've heard it in the press at the moment what we're going through being called like a great awakening or a great reckoning and there's a lot of different narratives sort of bumping up against each other and people trying to understand things for the first time that they haven't ever had to stop and think about before yeah uh, so it's quite amazing to sort of witness and god knows how it's going to be digested but yeah time will tell yeah it's crazy it's happening funny enough it's happening in india as well man um yeah, i just asked about this yeah. like can i ask like what, what are your thoughts on um, how blm specifically is being kind of received and taken up within india is it being taken up um i don't think it is uh, for the simple reason that indians really don't have an experience of a race of racism based on skin color like you know what i'm saying like in terms of they don't have a group persecuted because of the way they look now we have the class system which is really fucked up and the class system the people who are in the lower like who not i don't want to use the word lower i want to say the people who are bearing the like who are on who are on the wrong side of the class system are the people who do not have access to this information so they cannot really convert that into a movement like uh but what was what what had actually kind of played itself out into the movement into a movement was the me too movement and right. and there was also recently there was a little little bit i would love to get your thoughts on this right so what were you there for the uh, were you following the whole boys locker room thing i mean like when it first came out of america like boys being boys and having locker room talk right and then there was the, an indian version of it where there was like this okay so uh, just to give you some context it's uh, there was this group of dudes who were commenting on and sharing photos of allegedly it did it wasn't proven to be true but the notion was that there were some dudes who were sharing private photos of women that was sent to them by the women right all right so sent in confidence sent in confidence and they were kind of just distributing that over a group and they made a, uh, there was a little bit of a, a hoo ha about it and they fa- later found out that the person who was kind of uh like the instigator was actually a girl who was trying to undermine the group or something like that like basically it 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 way it turned out weird one like of like a teen drama <laughs> <laughs> it does it does twilight man awesome girl or yeah twilight or something uh but what came out of that was this whole conversation of how to proceed share when you shared private photos of yourself right. to other people right. and um, what i see as a positive there is definitely the fact that people are having that conversation in the first place yeah like, imagine having that con- like imagine 10 years ago like we probably would like or ima- like i don't know how old you were in new delhi when you were in new delhi but i was, if- I was a baby <laughs> <laughs> all right I- so um but imagine just that level of depression like just 10 years ago and now we're having cons- like now people are talking about like uh nude sharing etiquette basically basically yeah yeah and 
me, that's a good conversation to have. I mean, it's a shitty way to kind of um, expose itself. But I'm sure like these are certain conversations that a lot of people who are living in slightly less, less um, restricted social, sociosexual environments kind of pro- uh, operate with. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the um, the types of conversations that we're having, whether it's about nude photo sharing etiquette yeah. or race or homophobia or like, you know, I think generally speaking, globally, um, we live in the information age yeah. and there's so much access to information and there's so much, there's so many platforms to share your thoughts and have conversations. I mean, 10 years ago, when how could we have done this? You know, yeah. here in countries had a chat and then shared it with an audience like we just live in a very unique time and I think it's allowed for a much more rapid uh, progression when it comes to conversations that maybe were kept very repressed for a very long time like I can't think of like my parents generation for example even talking about mental health let alone dating and like nude photo sharing like that's not a conversation um that generation would have had so i think it's quite amazing to bear witness to how quickly these things are changing i mean look at blm for example um just to go back to that as as something that's happening right now the conversations it's generated in the last month i think have been bigger and and have moved the needle on the issue Mm. arguably more than it has in the last maybe 10 years or something like that. And that's just because of, you know, I think of the particular technologies we have access to and media and yeah. it's crazy. It's yeah. Did you experience any powerful conversation in particular? Around BLM? Oh my gosh, lots, um, lots and lots. Like this is, um, it's a space that I, this is what I studied in school. So yeah. I went to um, York um, university in, in Toronto and, my background was actually in political science. Like I, I looked at South Asian politics a lot. I'm like, oh. you know, I want to know about the motherland. I want to know about India. <laughs> but that was my undergrad. And then in grad school, um, I was in a program called socio-legal studies. So it was like mm. interdisciplinary sort of um, undertaking between the law school and the sociology department. Right. So, you know, I looked a lot at like critical thought constructs and um, critical race and gender work were kind of very, um, very much a part of what I studied to write my thesis. And um, when, I mean, I, I followed BLM right from the beginning when it first started up, but to see it being taken up in these really sort of passionate ways right around the world. Yeah. Weird. It's made me like connect back to what I studied in a way that I never thought would be possible because I had this academic background and then dude, like I ended up being like a makeup artist and then like working in film, like it's, it felt completely disconnected, yeah. but I, I feel like the strange moment where the two things are kind of um, having a moment to speak to each other. So Definitely. your question about having powerful conversations around this, all of a sudden in Australia, like I am in the actors union here. I do work with some makeup brands, like as a beauty blogger, yeah. I've been able to have that conversation directly with them. Um, yeah. You know, obviously I'm not a black woman, and Australia has a different um, relationship with the black community here. It's um, what's happening with indigenous people in custody and um, indigenous realities. It's, it's very different. There's a very small African diaspora here. Got it. Uh, but just, there is a wider... As a side note, sorry, just to kind of get the terminology right. Yeah. Are we not using aborigines anymore? That's a great question. In, in North America, in Canada, we don't. We don't say Aboriginal. We say okay. First Nations people. First Nation. Australia, they do say Aboriginal. Um, so I don't really know the histories behind okay. that. But I know that that's what is widely said. Got it. Um, and it's interesting, actually. I was having this conversation with someone a few days ago. First Nations, as a um, as a term, has yeah. been kind of adopted from Canada. Yeah, um, yeah. And people are using it here, but I don't see it being used as widely as Aboriginal. So, good question. And that's an issue. I don't know. I, I don't know what's the, how people feel about this. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it's just been interesting to see how these things have translated to fit local contexts. And so to go back to um, powerful conversations in this area, yeah. I've gone, okay, look, I can't, I'm one person. Like, yeah. I can't 
take on the entire system or anything like that. But I do have some level of, of expertise in this area. And what are my lanes? My lanes are acting and beauty. So let me bring this conversation up within the circles that I'm connected to. I have a bit of a platform. Let me reach out to brands. So I have, I've started reaching out to brands. I started to reach out to my union and start Mm -hmm. asking bigger questions about, well, what are you doing for diversity and inclusion in these spaces? Um, How has BLM impacted you? And it's, oh man, it's without getting too into detail. Like Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of really powerful conversations with CEOs of companies, like big, Mm -hmm. big unions here. Um, things are evolving. I don't know how it'll fully play out. And again, I am one woman in a sea of voices. I'm not a black woman. I'm not an indigenous woman. I'm just one woman of color who has a particular experience. And I want to share that. that. My surprise, people have listened, whether they'll act on what I'm saying. It's not for me to, it's just for me to wait and see. So when, um, when you say you want people to act on stuff that you're talking about what would you like what do you expect them how do you what's the solution according to you like for example a lot of brands almost just about a month ago now on june 2nd they shared their little blm tile on like instagram like all of these brands started performing their um i shouldn't say performing with such sarcasm but they started publicly declaring their um allegiance to this cause right but now here we are a month later what have you actually done to further um, the the positions that people of color have within your company? Or what have you done to further invite them into your brands or represent them at your brands? For me, it's not a simple question of just being like as a beauty influencer, an immediate thing that comes to mind is, okay, how many um, influencers of color or black or indigenous women are you using in your campaigns? That's an easy visual reference to see like, how much are they engaging with these communities? But for me, that's not enough. That's just very surface level. So what? You hired a couple of models to be in your next campaign. But right. does that mean you've had a cultural shift at your company? Who are the people at the decision-making tables at your company who um, choose those campaigns? Um, right. What are you doing for hiring people of color at your company? What are you doing for education? Like One thing I found working um, in the Australian beauty industry was a lot of people aren't trained on how to match foundation for darker skins. Yeah. Like just, they don't know, they get freaked out and they back away from it. Isn't that a huge problem? Like, because like, I'm assuming like professional makeup is different than like, I'm like, it's, it's like, it's not the same as just like putting on lipstick or whatever you like, whatever people put on in front of me. I'm sorry. I'm being very ignorant here, but I, I have no idea as to like, basically I'm just assuming that doing makeup at home is different than doing makeup in like a studio. You, you're you're right in that assumption because when you're doing makeup for television or film like it, it's very different you have hd cameras on you or you know sometimes it has to be appropriate to what context you're in in a scene or if it's a period drama for example it's going to yeah. look different and this is something that you hear over and over again from women of color particularly black women in america for example actors and models will go on to sets and the makeup artists there won't know how to groom their hair, won't know how to match their foundation, won't know how to do things to get them ready. And so it, it often that labor often falls back on the black woman to do it herself or come right. prepare her own foundations. But that's not an expectation that's put on white people because people are trained on how to do white people's makeup. So there's there's these little schisms that exist on every mm. level. Yeah, and who's to say like even if even if the look like even if you have a professional like they're gonna give you a look based on norm, right? I'm just guessing. If they have like even if the I mean if you're giving someone a look, right? Yeah. Like I mean that's really complicated. I'm assuming. For example, if you have like you can give someone like you can give someone who has for example brown skin. Yeah. That has its own cultural representations as well. So you probably can't. So you, dressing them up in regular Western clothing, like like regular quintessential clothing, may not fit the ca- character. Or, but at the same time, you can't caric- caricaturize the individual as well. Like you can't like. Yeah. So like, totally. and like, is there like an issue with look as well in general? Like, there is. I mean, like it's it's um, an interesting conversation I was starting to have with the actors' union here in Australia. Hmm. Like, um, for example. There has been a lot of talk about how if you are employing, let's say, an Indian actor in a scene, yeah. um, 
and and you're expecting them to act as an Indian person in the scene, mm. you know, not um, you're expecting them to act according to their own cultural background. Often the white writers, the white directors, the white people in the scene with them don't know about that. So the expectation of teaching goes back on that actor to educate everybody on set that I'm doing the accent correctly or I'm behaving in this way because it's appropriate to my culture, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. They end up doing so much more work than just being an actor or yeah. you know, having a certain look or carrying themselves a certain way. So the union here has now started talking about compensating actors of color for doing that extra work. Um, right. It's getting, and, and I think the same thing is that conversation is extending to makeup artists, for example. Why aren't every, anyone who's coming out of a makeup academy here, why aren't you trained to do darker skin tones or do curly hair or do things that are outside of, you know, one particular look? Right. Um, and I'm really glad that these conversations are happening. Yeah. They need to be happening. Um, and I guess it must be like complicated to like when the rubber hits the road, right? Because even if you have someone who's going to probably be able to, uh, like sup supposing you have someone with that skill set. Yeah. I think there's a limit on how often that skill set will be used. You mean like if someone is trained to do... Yes. Um, Afro hair, for example, not yeah. every model they're going to get is a Afro haired model. Is that what you mean? Yeah, because the majority of I'm I'm guessing the majority of the people, like the majority of the models they get, yeah, are of a certain kind of background. If I'm white. Yeah, I mean absolutely. But I think what happens is that because there isn't kind of training and conversation in this space, mm. it then starts feeding back into a system where they go let's just actually not hire any African models because yeah. we don't meaning it's harder. Let's just kind of, and so it perpetuates a system where yeah. you leave it out. So yes. I think it's important to like, you know, you talked about opportunities, right? Right. So you need to make, you need to take these systemic barriers out of the way. So those yeah. opportunities then can exist more evenly for diverse groups of people. Yeah. That makes sense because one thing which I've definitely noticed in the model is to, like the model and actor uh, kind of schema is that like there's generally there's more actors out there and like there's more talent out there than is opportunity. Like that's just the way the industry is is designed across. Like anywhere you go, like there'll be a hundred people who'll be who'll, who'll want that. Yeah. And it's it's really it's something which is really weird to me because you're talking about unions. I'm so surprised that the Indian actor like the like how you have a Screen Actors Guild. With reference to India, we don't have that. No, I was going to ask. Like, I've never come across a union as such. Um, they have a guild, but in essence, it's not as like, for example, like uh, my friend was telling me that, supposing in the States, if you're, if you're going to get paid like a certain X amount for working till 7 p.m., yeah. if they, even if they have you there till like 7.05. Yes, you'll get paid overtime. And the overtime is usually like double of your fee. So it's like, supposing you're getting 5K a day, you'll get 15K for that day. Totally. And like, it's very fair. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, in the Indian context, that's not happened. And that's going to be a problem. Just mm -hmm. it's And it's weird because a lot of actors that I know, they, they are motivated by um, something which is just different than money. Like they, they want... They want to create a following. Some of them want attention. Some of them want recognition. And that some, I mean, it seems to me that that sometimes supersedes their need for money. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's almost like the industry is actually exploiting that need. It totally is. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's a huge problem in Bollywood. Like people, there's now an expectation because of that, let's call it a desperation, if you will. Yeah. People really, there's so much competition and people want to get in front of that camera no matter what. Um, there's, they are willing to do that work for free. Sometimes they're willing to pay to get a role. So it's kind of gone a couple of movies for free. Yeah. You don't need a thing as an actor. You do it just to get the exposure and then you like kind of, and I'm like, what? Like, yeah. how am I supposed to pay my bills? How am I supposed to live? Like that is, maybe it's me being like naive as a Canadian coming in from the outside, but I'm like, I can't, 
that's not naive at all i think you should get like i think it's it's a hallmark of a fair society if you get paid for what the work that you put in right simple up straight up but honestly shivam like i've had those conversations sometimes with like people in the industry and they the amount of resistance and pushback you get you start feeling crazy because there's just like no 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 of course you do this work for free and then you get a platform and then you can demand money and i'm like i i how am i supposed to survive bombay is not a cheap city number not one to this is work you're asking me to do like yeah. these are 20 hour days on a set learning lines getting into a character like doing yeah. all of these things to do all of that for free um because that's going to somehow benefit me down the line i mean i this is why i think i have kind of i'm now outside of india and i really i'm not 100% sure i don't know i'm working it out it's a process but i'm not entirely convinced i'd be going back because mm. they don't see even financially viable for me to do that yeah i mean and i'm sure there's like a lot of great talented people like you that are kind of moving away from the industry just because of this bullshit yeah, yeah. i mean what other in other industries is that expected of people that they just work for free to get started yeah i mean in certain cases yes so but here's the thing it like for example like you're supposed like unpaid internships is a thing yeah you're right, right? but it's not years and years of it like in terms of i am a short success like it's stable like i am i am a short success if i put in a certain x amount of work sure but that's not the case in acting like it's not like yeah you know you you grind and then by the end of it you'll be there there's no it, guarantee there's no guarantee and like for women it's a little bit more complicated because at least in my opinion because um young actresses it seems are constantly coming up mm-hmm. and the average age or the the age the span within which someone is pro, like is prolific or is hired a lot is narrower for women than it is for men oh definitely guy like salman khan he can go on and on right but there are guys yeah but there are a few despite the whole like rolling like driving over people that shit pisses me off he basically but that's uh, beside the point a lot of conversation <laughs> yeah but uh, but to the larger point of it's a little bit more complicated if you're a woman and if you're looking for a jo- uh, for an acting job because there's a certain age after which essentially it becomes significantly harder to get certain oh, levels of employment totally and it's the case in hollywood as well that those conversations have been happening for a long time that women's shelf life in this industry is it's a lot shorter and it's a lot more unfortunately based you know, your value is your look in a much more disproportional way um than your talent you know yeah. and and i think in india that's amplified um so it's it's a real tricky bind to be in because and you know look the same by the way applies to the beauty industry and it applies to the modeling industry um it 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 becomes so tough to um understand your value or recognize that you know you as an artist have something inherent to you that is beyond what your hair looks like or your face looks like yeah always tied back to that you know and yeah. i and i that it's something that it's an it's an ugly truth of this industry like i I'm aware that I have been able to do certain jobs because of the way I look and it wouldn't have been possible otherwise that's a privilege that I have but then at the same time I also know that um that doesn't affect men in the same way you know men as you said can yeah. have long careers in this space um it certainly helps if you're a good looking guy but then yeah. at the same time it's not the th- the only thing that sort of limits you necessarily yeah i mean um, if and if you- if you have like 15 years to do something like say for instance i start if i'm a guy i start at 20 right and i say i want to be an actor i say i'm going to i'm going to spend like i know people who said i fucking i'm going to spend 6 years doing this or 7 years doing this by the end of 7 years they actually like good actors but if you're in a situation where you're saying okay i want to be an actor at the age of 20 and you're a woman you're you're going to also be thinking about the fact that by the time you're 30 or 32 and i'm being generous here you're probably going to say like i'm I'm not 
platform and like i'm not going to be able to be a successful after that it's also sort of bound up in societal expectations mm. that a woman by age is going to get married you know childbearing years all of these things about societal um milestones that are put on women mm. like if you don't do these things and you're somehow not a successful woman and it it's it's so complicated this right. applies to we're talking about the acting and modeling industry, but these are pressures that are put on women across the board, no matter what your job is. Um, so, you know, we live in gendered realities and these are the differences in, in what affect the decisions that people are able to make. Yeah. Um, and is it unfair? Absolutely. But the fact, again, that we're having conversations about this, I take as a good step in some regards because... Yeah. I'm not even sure it would have been conversations maybe in our parents' generation, for example. Yeah, definitely not. Like I know that like if you if you were a female actor in that era, like you were viewed very differently and things like that. Like that was pretty bad. Um in also I understand that we've gone over an hour. So Yeah. I knew this would happen. We said we were chatty and we're definitely yeah. chatty, but we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we did. Um, so we could uh, tell me how you're feeling right now. Well, actually, uh, funny enough, I have a phone call with Davy in about uh, eight minutes, so Sounds I do good. have to wrap it up. So, so I, I will. So it. let's let's drop off. But thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out to do this. It was a lot of fun for me, and I'm uh, yeah. So thank you so much, and I'm just gonna stop.